Welcome to Yeah, I Make Games, the number one game development podcast. I'm Mrs. with co-hosts Brogan Hackett and Adam Pipe. And we're joined again by Josh or Stuffed Wombat, and who's a our first repeat guest. And do you still make games? Yeah, I still make games. So Josh, what was your last year like? I would say my year can be neatly separated into two parts. The first part was garbage, the second part was pretty cool. First six months, I was teaching a game design course, working with a friend on a game that we then actually released, and planning a lot of stuff that never happened. What was the game you released? It's called Gebala, or Geballer, as the Americans pronounce it. It was our attempt at a vampire survivor-like, but ethical considerations made us make a game that sold way less, because we didn't want to make something with like compulsion loops and endless upgrades. I'm thinking about that coming off of this last Ludum Dare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you made a farming game. And a clicker. The two things that people get sucked into for hours. <laughs> and I just got sucked into it for hours and made 30 million Let's go. And it's already turning profit. Yeah, let's hope the game actually makes 30 million. <laughs> the reason I make short, simple games that can be beat in a couple hours is for ethical reasons. It has nothing to do, no other reason. It's just ethics. I'm just a good person. This is actually, you know, a good point. The type of games that just have a beginning and an ending and then a credit rolling are much like closer to how like a unity scene looks <laughs> like it's it's a lot simpler to just say oh here's a level and then you go through it and then the game is over then to like code like weird mathematics that keep you hooked forever there's also just the idea that like when you put in a system that actually goes forever and you see someone act like i had this very early when i started making games i had people emailing me like children emailing me like oh i love this game so much i play it all the time i, I stopped doing my homework and i stopped doing all of this other stuff and like please make more levels and make more of it and i'm like it's genuinely scary seeing a system you build really consume someone i once at a convention saw a kid try to beat the game for like 60 minutes miserable unhappy <laughs> but not able to let go <laughs> Just playing that game forever and ever, and it's like, holy shit, you know, everyone who works in slot machine has the same, like, answer to that. It's like, but they love it. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe they do, but I'm not sure if I'm willing to pay that price. So the people who have, like, a gambling addiction, they love gambling. That doesn't mean they don't have an unhealthy addiction, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I quit smoking last year. If you would have told me to like, oh yeah, you know, I just quit smoking. I'm like, yeah, no, but you know, it's just part of my routine and it's fine. And I get more out of it than I put into it and blah, blah, blah. And having argued that perspective, I, I find it hard not to take sympathy with the gambling act. <laughs> oh yeah, no, of course. They they are victims. They're being victimized by systems that are designed to hold them in their grasp. It's not a chemical addiction. It's a man-made addiction with gambling specifically, which is so nefarious because you have all of these people running all of these businesses that their entire profit model is making people miserable and taking their money. Yeah. I don't like judge people for that. Yeah, but our our, our goal is to make people happy and take their money. <laughs> <laughs> Thin line to walk, you know. I kind of also remember like the first game that I made that I saw someone, you know, like have a visceral reaction to. 
It was like the game where you just do wall jumps constantly, but it's really fucking annoying. <laughs> I had a friend of mine play it, and I mean, he was like literally sweating when he was playing it. And that was the first time, like, oh my god, I can like make someone sweat with my games. And, you know, <laughs> you do feel kind of powerful. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, there's nothing that makes me feel more powerful than like someone getting like organically scared by a monster in one of my horror games, or like missing <laughs> jump in one of my platformer games, you know. Especially with horror, it's really strange because i'm always confused like on comments on our players online like one comment is like this is the least scary thing i've ever played in my life and the next comment is like i've never been this scared i nearly had a heart attack <laughs> there's like no baseline you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. same with endoparasitic where people are like this is so stressful i was sweating i was terrified the whole time someone also just be like yeah it's not really scary but it's a fun like game to play just the mechanics <laughs> That definitely, like, intersects with level of, of abstraction someone's capable of in their mind. Can you convince yourself, I'm just playing a game, when you're playing a really atmospheric game? If the player is desensitized, like, I think if a Victorian child would play your game, is they would probably die. <laughs> <laughs> the frail Victorian child could not handle, you know, the smoothness <laughs> of the mouse. <laughs> I just, I'm just, I'm just hungry. I just need food. Why are you making me play this game? <laughs> no, 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 no. You have to get to level three. <laughs> you beat a level, you get one slice of bread. You can make yourself some bread in Minecraft and you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll never want to go outside again. It's perfect. It's also like with these like compulsion loops. I don't know. I think that was the word. Yeah. Whereas like you just keep going and you unlock something and then that helps you to unlock more of the same thing, but faster and bigger. It just keeps going forever. I remember fucking loving that as a child when I played like World of Warcraft knockoffs. Yeah. And it's like, why do I want to take that away from some, you know, 21st century children? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, the planet is dying. All I want is to get to level three. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I had a conversation about this recently because I showed my brother's family, I had my nephew in the car with me. And so I showed him my infinite golf game that I've been working on on my mobile phone, slowly making progress for a few years. Like he got so sucked into it and had so much fun. And then that day I ended up having a discussion about this exact topic with my brother and his family and the thing that I came to about that game is that if I wanted to release it I would have to create a narrative that deals with the idea that the character is addicted to constantly moving forward mm -hmm. because otherwise I wouldn't feel comfortable like unleashing players on that without some sort of framing that lets them contemplate their compulsion loop right I, don't, I wonder how effective that is like will you get an email like I loved reaching like epiphany 17 about my addiction <laughs> I can't wait to reach epiphany 18 <laughs> an ultimate endpoint where the ball is like this is all pointless but it's fun, so... Yeah. I think you kind of risk, like, if you have someone that's really invested in your game and then you just put, like, a random end in there just for them to be like, actually, you're addicted, stop playing now. They will just... I think they would burst, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I envision it as the philosophy being as long as I am happy, this is fine. Yeah. But if this is cutting into and negatively impacting my life outside of the game, it's not just, like, oh, all of your time was wasted. It's... Obviously, it's not. You had so much fun doing it, right? Personally, there's stuff I, I don't want to be responsible for. But then, you know, the reason we started the whole project in the beginning of the year was because it was like, fuck, I need money. <laughs> it's like, yeah. damn, people are, you know, <laughs> they give some, it's like, I'll just do whatever. You know, sometimes I have these phases where I'm just like, I'll just sell out completely, whatever. It doesn't matter what, I just need some money. And I never pull through. Never. Yeah, yeah. Never. It never works out for me.
it's like I'm physically incapable. At least we released like a, like basically we did what, what what you said. We didn't put a narrative in, but we made a game that was supposed to be endless, and we made it linear. And you just run through the content, and then it's over. And people enjoyed it, you know. But it would have probably sold better if you had small increments of progress forever. That reminds me of the Endless Runner I made in Twine years ago, <laughs> back in 2014, where like there's just a hundred screens you can run through. There's obstacles, and you have energy and stuff, and uh, you have to like level up stuff to keep getting further and further. But you can like beat it, and and I, it wasn't possible with my knowledge of the engine at the time to make it actually infinite. Damn, you made an infinite runner in Twine. Oh, wait, so my year, my year was kind of uh, a bit unusual. I mean, there's some stuff I think that I haven't really announced yet. So the first half of the year was working on Spooker Episode 2. And then, unfortunately, we had to stop working on Spooker. Not going to do the 10 more chapters thing? Well, there, there were going to be like uh, two more episodes. So we made like half of the game. Very long story comes down to we can't do the other two episodes. So we kind of had to have to stop it short, which kind of sucks because we I was kind of hoping I would be at least able to finish it. I don't know. I feel like I should do an announcement or something. <laughs> I don't know. I just haven't said anything. So maybe hopefully by the time this episode comes up, maybe I'll finally have found the courage to just post something on Twitter about it. Sorry, you have to pull an Evangelion. They ran out of budget as well and they just, you know, mashed all of the stuff they had together into one incoherent episode. Called it art. <laughs> I can't wait to see Netflix release the end of Spookware. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I think, I hope, you know, in my life, like a few years later, maybe I will find the time to do the end of Spookware 2.0 or something, you know. The return of the end. The return of the end, exactly. Yeah. For now, it's like kind of the brakes have been put on it. And uh, because of kind of the situation, I was a bit like burnt out. Because of the last episode we did, on yeah, I make games. Like the last guest, you know, was kind of talking about like work-life balance stuff, which kind of gave me inspiration to be like, okay, there's like summer coming up. I'm just gonna take like a really fucking long break, and the long break has kind of turned into an infinite break. I I know that feeling. <laughs> I mean, I have made I have made like uh, two small games during that time, so I mean, I haven't been completely useless, and which is called Cold Line and Map Friend, which both did really well, which I'm really happy about to be honest. And so like my New Year's resolution is actually get back into a routine of working on stuff. So that's pretty much been my year, to be honest. It's kind of a weird, like, off year, I feel, but I'm I'm very excited to work. I've got, like, a new project lined up as well, which I'm going to start on this year and something. So everything everything is going in the right direction. And the three games that I did release this year, uh, Spooker Episode 2, Codeline and Map Friend, like, all very proud of all of them. It was a good idea to just take a very long break, because it's, I mean, I feel like I kind of... Maybe like in a work-life balance scale of things. I've had like a good taste of the life thing now. And uh, now I can like pull it back on the other end and try to stabilize it in a place that maybe is like, you know, sustainable. So yeah, that's interesting. That's been my year, basically. What did you do in your vacation? Yeah, what was the life stuff? Just, you know... No, I don't. Please tell me. Please. <laughs> tell me everything about your life. No, just chilling. Just having, you know, a cup of tea, you know, stuff like that. Not really anything too amazing but it's just like you know enjoying traveling a bit doing the good stuff with the savings that i kind of skipped together just focusing on other stuff and i like making games still a little bit here and there but just kind of okay i can kind of chill 
so this is good. This is infuriatingly inspecific. It is really inspecific, <laughs> right? But it didn't, I didn't really do anything. It's not like I, you know, climbed my Antwerp or anything, you know. The only thing I did do is, is uh, by the around the end of the year, I kind of uh, started like a very long trip to Korea, where I am now. And I'm kind of doing like the whole traveling thing a little bit, which is really cool. So that's like the only big thing. But other than that, it's really just kind of being like, okay, life can also just be kind of like chilling and working a little bit on stuff. And I kind of did a bit too much of the chilling, which I realize now. <laughs> and so now I'm going to pull it back a bit more to the working and I'm going to find like strike a good balance and it's going to be great. I think I did too much of the chilling last year too, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting, you know. It's crazy being an adult and being in charge of your own time, and it's a luxury and a, and a privilege. Yeah, we're all privileged enough to be able to keep doing this stuff to some degree. Definitely. I mean, to what degree is it a curse? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a curse, honestly. It's hard to see it as a negative when you look at the rest of the world. True. I feel like, especially, uh, I know Miz and you, Adam, were both traveling last year as well, and I was too, and, and I'm sure you got at and you saw like the world and, and saw it. Uh, there are people in a lot worse positions yeah definitely yeah i've also started doing freelance this year which is interesting what does that involve i'm doing like quest writing for a game right now which is interesting cool. i mean it's it's pretty it's pretty cool it's not um i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's my passion or anything and i think this is probably the main thing about freelancing is it's like it's not your passion or anything it's just money which is not yeah. Yeah, i mean not necessarily a bad thing because the money enables the passion you know but it's it's interesting. I mean, I kind of like it. I think it's a good backup for knowing that I can sustain myself on freelance, kind of in a way. Because like, I mean, the next project I have like funding for it, which is really cool. But just to know that if I ever do not have funding for something, I don't like die. That's nice. Yeah. Could you could you have relaxed without having the next project funded? Do you think? I don't know. Now I've been kind of diligent enough about it. On time, like uh, apply for the funding thing, which is like a Belgian government. A game fund which is really cool oh that's sick your government actually funds games it's really good again amazing privilege to be able to do that and so having you know knowing that like the next game is funded and i can do it is just incredible i if i didn't have that ahead of me i would probably be stressing out a lot more <laughs> i think i don't know how is it for you guys my first half of last year i was attempting to get funding for a game. I ended up putting together a pitch and then realizing, you know, I'll have to compromise the vision and I'll, I've already like jumped through so many hoops and I'm going to have to jump through so many more. My lifestyle isn't great, but I'm lucky enough to have like safety nets I can rely on. And so I, I just made the conscious decision to start trying to use that safety net and that benefit to like just make my own games and see what I can do with them instead of trying to come up with a whole project and plan it ahead of time, which isn't how I've ever worked or my creative process has ever worked because everything that I find that I do well tends to come up organically through the process of working, not through planning. But why did you want to get something funded? Like just, just for money or was it like the next step or? Like I'd, I'd work with publishers and I'd like to have the money to say transition and live on my own without my parents and you know, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I was just making myself so stressed and unhappy trying to do that, that it would have negated any benefit I actually would have gotten, I think. I'm good at generating ideas for games and I'm just going, going to keep doing that and then 
release whatever I can that seems reasonable to charge money for. Yeah, and then, you know, maybe like with Spookware, a publisher will like approach you or something. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess that's what happened. I mean, that's exactly what happened, yeah. The way I see it, I would rather just like be full indie, supporting myself if I can, and like relying on my privileged position. If not, you know, what's what's the point of having the benefits of, of that if you're not going to use them properly, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Although I do feel a little bit like with like the funding now that I got, I kind of I'm excited about prospect of you know stable income, hey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also just like the fact that's like, hey, okay, these people, you know, the Belgian game fund, they do want me to actually finish the game. And <laughs> I've got some responsibility over it. I have to like sacrifice my vision and make like bad creative decisions and stuff, which is always it's like the wonderful part of the process in a way. You know, you have to do that regardless of if you're working for someone else or not. Exactly. Otherwise, you'll never finish anything. But if you're if you're if you're all alone, you can lie to yourself for a lot longer. It's so nice. I think that's one thing I've gotten better at through doing game jams the last couple of years is like just knowing when to cut shit. I I think there was the a five hour period where I stripped like ten plant mechanics and features out of my my last Ludum Dare game, and it made me feel happy to do that because I knew I was going to actually finish the game after I'd done that. You know, so I think there is like a balance to be had, and it's something that. Is a skill that can be learned. It doesn't get easier, never. <laughs> if you get better at scoping, then you just have to cut less. For me, at least, if after every project, I'm like, oh, now I know, you know, I will just cut much earlier. And, you know, maybe I do cut earlier, but it's never early enough. For me, often when I do cut something, it's kind of a relief. Of course. That's definitely, like, I was so stressed that last day of the game jam, and I just, like, cut everything, and it, it was like, oh, I'll, I'll actually finish something cool and playable now. Yeah. But the other thing, like, I'm considering, uh, based on, like, that experience last year, is that I don't need, like, a publisher breathing down my neck, but I would really like to have some sort of a producer to work with, rather than just, like, being out on my own and having to handle planning tasks that I'm not good at planning tasks, and, and like, if I started to be make a game that was profitable, I would instantly like bring on someone to to deal with production management stuff the whole funding and stuff it also makes it like you know you have like a real team and like the people in your team they're like oh this is i like being in this team because it's making me money you know and it's like it feels like okay this is for everyone in the team it's like okay this is the main thing i'm doing right now and there's no like emotional reason that you have to convince them why but mostly money which is always a good motivator and for me, that kind of auto-produces a lot of things, you know? <laughs> Having just these people around you making it real, and that's always a good part of it. I found it so much easier to work with Dreamfield than I did on any non-games job I ever had, because I loved the project, and the people I was working with were lovely people. Um, I still do a bit of work with them, which is, is really nice, and it's it's just nice to have people I know I can work with, and I know I like as well, still in my life. Mrs. Isis, why are you so quiet? Did you do nothing all year? I did a few things. Let's see, end of 2021, I finished Rot Flesh, so the beginning of the year, I was basically just kind of dealing with the results of releasing a hyped game that had a big following. I made a lot of mistakes with it, so it was kind of like rough seeing like, oh, 
that's not done. I still need to fix it. And like getting more criticism for the things I didn't do kind of dealing with that. But then also I made a lot of money off of it. It was the first time I made like a decent amount of money. So I took a vacation for like the first time, like a serious vacation for first time in a couple of years, which was really nice. And then I came back and immediately started working on the next content update for it. And then I moved to Florida. Why? <laughs> have, have you just always dreamed of being eaten by an alligator that is drunk? <laughs> I actually don't like Florida. The reason I moved was because my parents moved here and then I have a lot of friends here. Basically, all my friends moved away from where I lived, and I was like, all right, I'm tired of living in the middle of nowhere. Okay. I want a social life again. I don't recommend Florida otherwise, unless you know people here. Sorry for the interruption. It's just I've never heard someone under the age of, like, 60 who's not also... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the most exciting place. Yeah, let's see. I'm working a bit here and there on Endoparasitic. Like, I was ready to start turning it into a full game after that Ludum Dare I did, like however long ago that was like two years ago now yeah finished rot flesh update and then i went traveling like all summer which was a lot of fun and did a lot of things oh i read sid meyer's memoir that was really cool one of my favorite like game dev related like biographies or autobiographies or whatever he's made a lot of games and a lot of variety i feel like most like game dev things i've read it's just like the people it's about are like the weirdest losers ever or something it talks about their lives and i'm like damn i really don't want to end up like that person <laughs> or something or they just make like three games that are all the same and then the the world moves on from that kind of game and then they just end up stuck in the past i liked reading his book because he was always making new things he was always trying like new stuff and just kept putting out games and he had like a normal life too it seemed like and i was like damn okay like this is Somebody I can aspire to be like. The the way I see it, like, if I had a memoir, it would just be, Brogon made games this year, this year, this year, this year, this year, every <laughs> year, for the entirety of her life. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's, like, a brief subsection called, like, the back pain or something. <laughs> <laughs> Josh struggled with back pain his whole life. Let's see, I got back from traveling, and I'd been working a little bit on Endoparasitic, but I basically I came back and was like, all right, I want to finish this. And I was telling my dad, and he was like, it's a horror game, shouldn't you have it done before halloween so there's time for like people to play because i think i was going to release it on halloween or something he was like release it a week before yeah. yeah that's true i should do that so that meant i basically had one month to like make 90 percent of the game so i just worked super hard throughout october and then also i was like making youtube videos for it which was oh yeah it was cool that those really blew up because it was at that point i was just like i don't really care about youtube anymore like i'm just doing it as part of my dev process like i just I make a video to get views so people will buy it. That's just what I do. I don't really care about the views or anything now. And then that video went viral and got like 3 million views in the devlog. And I got a shit ton of wishlists and stuff. And I was like, okay, I'll take it. Like, nice, let's go. <laughs> and then after release, yeah, I did really well. A bunch of YouTubers played it. Markiplier just played it like a month ago. And he just finished it last week, I think. He did a three-part series. Yeah, Markiplier playing, that's like that's like enough to buy me a house. It's <laughs> like... like I'm like, like alright thanks Markiplier I'm looking for a house now <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy it was really nice it's like a big relief it's nice like I'm not rich but I, I have like comfort money now like I'm like comfortable and I can like have options and do what I want and I can take a break. It's a big relief. I would argue that buying a house constitutes rich. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll be rich then. Bought a house and a few Lego sets. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. One last thing I did. I uh, One of my friends here teaches at a like some school here, charter school. She's like invites random people to like teach after school programs and was like invited me to teach like a game dev program and a bunch of 10 year olds and stuff. 
I was like, I don't want to teach these kids how to program. That's going to be a pain. So I just, I gave each one of them like one dice, you get one pen and one piece of paper and five minutes to invent a game that uses those. And then we do that, show off our games, talk about it a bit. And then I give them some ideas and suggestions. Think about what else can you do with the dice? You don't just have to roll it. You can also throw it or like catapult it off your pencil or something. <laughs> that sounds like an amazing class. It's pretty fun. They actually came up with some cool ideas. One of them like drew a dartboard on the piece of paper, stuck it to like a wall and then threw the pen at it as like a dart. And so it would like leave a mark on it. <laughs> it was some neat stuff. It was a neat little class. You have like made those kids teachers in their like next school year's life miserable. <laughs> <laughs> Why are my students throwing pens at the wall? <laughs> what are you? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty inspiring, especially like you actually making money off of a game because it's like, <laughs> I'm still, I still feel, you know, like I'm in this phase of my mm. game dev career where I still don't believe in that games can actually make money. You know, I haven't <laughs> yeah. been convinced yet. Yeah. I was talking to um, this Australian dev at an event. I have, I forgot his name. I'm sorry, Australian guy. And I told him, like, you know, but he's, I mean, he was much more, you know, like a veteran yeah. game developer, you know. And I told him, like, yeah, but, you know, I don't really believe that games make money anyways. And then he was very confused, like, obviously games make money. And I was like, yeah, but do they really? I don't know. I don't <laughs> believe in. <laughs> what people do to games make money for is the, is the real question there. Because usually it's, mm. like, CEOs of AAA companies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's that's exactly it, you know, like all the the money making that you hear is like people that have their shit like really together or something. And it's like, I don't believe as me, someone who kind of has their shit together, that it's possible that I might ever, you know, truly turn a profit on games. So it's really confusing. The thing I realized is that the people who care a lot about money are the people who make a lot of money. And I don't really care that much about money, to be honest. <laughs> I care a lot about money. <laughs> it's like my first goal is like i need enough money so i can quit my job wow powerful I think that's definitely a good mindset to have. I do feel like I care a bit about money, but maybe I need to care more, and then I can become businesses and buy a house. <laughs> I feel like I got really into, like, again, back to the start of my year last year with, like, pitching the publisher and stuff, and I got really into, like, how can I market this game effectively, and, like, what do I need to do? And I realized that a lot of that is just, like, like one step over from manipulation, right? Yeah, but they, they enjoy it. They love to give you money. People do like to give money. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge anyone for making money in a world that yes. is so money focused, but uh, it it just like made me extremely unhappy and anxious all the time. There is a lot of people who are just willing to give money if you're making a cool game just yeah. to support even when it's not like I used to have a significant amount of my income just from Patreon. And I would explicitly tell people, like, you don't have to pay up front on it. It's charged once a month. So if you just sign up, you can download the game and then cancel and you get it for free. And people would still give me money. It's about the idea. I talked about this with a internet author recently, um, like someone who makes a living off of short stories and selling, like, you know, prose. You, you don't actually sell, like when you have a Patreon or whatever, you don't sell the product. You, you sell the idea of like supporting someone to live their dream, which is, of course, you know, everyone who supports you wants to, that dream to be real. So if they can contribute a small fraction of that dream being real, they're happy. They're actually like, you know, and that's you're like living someone else's dream and they pay you for it, which is a very strange concept, but it's not that related to the actual games or output. That's really interesting to hear because I've always been fucking stressed out about the Patreon because people often tell me like, oh, you should do Patreon. You're like this game amount man, you know? Yes. And it's like, oh yeah, I want to do it. But I'm always like, oh no, I feel like I should like commit a hundred percent to it. Like this is my job now. I will like 
only do it if I can commit to like full time make a game every month and create the best possible product for my loyal Patreon followers, you know? You could take my approach and set up a Patreon and just forget you have it and have like <laughs> people supporting you for three years. <laughs> I feel like I, I care like just enough about money that I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna fuck up the Patreon, you know. I felt bad for a moment before I like took a look at the people who were supporting me and like realize i know who they are and they probably just were happy to show me some support anyway but the other thing is in terms of like myself my, my plan for this year is to just start making like web builds of my jam games and then the downloadable version costs money mm. and like for this current one i'm going to add save files in and the save files won't stick on the browser version so you'll have to like pay if you want to keep a long-term farm going but it'll be like a one-time payment it'll be the same cost as like if i release it on steam but you'll also get like the drm free android build the drm free like any any build that i can release drm free will will also be on the itch page because one thing that like steam does is they're like oh you can't be cheaper on on a different storefront but they never specify that you can't like include extra content on a separate storefront or whatever the other things I did last year, yeah, I entered some like Ludumder jams. I, I did Ludumder 51, which had the theme 10 seconds, and I made a farming game. And then this last Ludumder, the theme was Harvest, and I made another farming game. <laughs> other than that, I went traveling for like a month and a half around Europe, which was cool, but it also made me realize that I'm a mess. Can I ask Bogan, how old are you? Uh, I'm 26. Ah, damn, you should have done it earlier. Now you can't do all the free museums. <laughs> <laughs> I got like an interrail ticket for good value though. That's so. good. Yeah, for me it's like my goal is I need to travel through Europe quickly before I turn 25 so I can do all the free museums, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally worth it, uh, all the thousands of euros to, to get back to Europe. I don't know, I, I kind of hadn't considered just how much of like pre-colonial and colonial history is just like built into the places I was going to be visiting, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like imperial palaces full of treasure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, I kind of have been having this kind of identity crisis as well, where it's like for the first time I'm like out of Europe for a long time and seeing an actual different culture and being like, oh, wow, I'm actually very French. I enjoy baguettes and cheese and I like having my buildings built by colonial money, apparently. And it's like, well, <laughs> what is this identity that I didn't know I had? And it's fucking, it's very weird. <laughs> yeah, uh, at least I was coming from Ireland where it's like, oh, we hate Britain, you know. <laughs> I had a shitty first half year and then I went on a two week. I have the shortest vacation of all of you. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the least uh, healthy. <laughs> what is this a vacation measuring contest yeah and i lose yes <laughs> <laughs> was invited by a university actually from spain to like come there and then i just asked them to like just book my return ticket later <laughs> and met a lot of developer friends and like traveled through spain and like relaxed for the first time in what felt like 200 years then came back and went crazy on producer which was such an insane amount of work it's really crazy. Like it's it's only like twenty five thousand words. It's not even like a complete like novel or something. But it's like months and months and months of writing and rewriting and like constant cutting. And it was probably the happiest, healthiest time I've had in a long time with like lots of like social contacts on the weekends and like actual weekends and like all of that proper like work work life balance that actually was very good, but I was still extremely productive. And then the game released and didn't make any money. 
I mean, it, it made some money, but I'm like, when, when you were talking about the house, I was like, oh shit, you know, like I backed the wrong horse, obviously, for many, for many years, which is fine, it's like whatever, but it's like, it's always like, ah, and now there's, the, there's this demon inside me again, it's like, I need to make some fucking money, I can't just, I can't just do what I think is interesting. If you want to make money, you do something horror that's gritty looking and some way shocking or gory. That's the easiest way. Yeah, fucking shoot me. I mean, holy shit, no. <laughs> Josh, let's go. Our game is horror enough. Or <laughs> you just make another kind of horror and create the most horrific compulsion loop possible. <laughs> yeah, but that, that I, I, I can't, you know, I can't. It's, that's the problem I've, I've cultivated. Yeah, yeah. I've cultivated for myself. That's the thing. That's the thing I realized last year is I can only make the things that I'm actually interested in. Yeah, which is which is why both of us say that we don't care about money because we're actually incapable of making it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to make cool games and have other people think they're cool yeah so you two are like the two tortured artists and we are just <laughs> sellouts i see okay <laughs> thanks for spelling it out uh, i didn't want to say it. <laughs> yeah in my angry moments i feel like that yeah <laughs> Every time I talk to you, Josh, I have like a mini like existential crisis. Like, my I need to be more artistic. I need to make a game about <laughs> about very complicated feelings that no one can understand that will never sell. Otherwise, I'm not too. You know? <laughs> Obviously, it's not working out. I don't see myself as a tortured artist because, like, as long as I get the tortured stuff out of my head, like, I enjoy making random games constantly. I enjoy the process of just booting up Unity and starting a new project, or booting up Godot and, and starting up a new project. Like, that's the thing that I enjoy the most in life, and that's why I do it so much. How could I possibly be tortured when I'm doing my favorite thing all the time? Because the outside world doesn't reward it. That's how you become tortured. If, if, if you get consistently slapped in the face for the thing you love, that's that's torture. I think that the the joy is reward enough. Sure. Like I've been thinking a lot about Ludum Dare, obviously. I realized my second game was for a Ludum Dare game jam, and that was where I was introduced to the whole like after the weekend there is ratings, but the real reward is the game you made along the way, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's been part of my creative process the whole time I've been making games basically. I just enjoy creating new things and, and that's the fun of life for me. All the other stuff gets in the way and annoys me. <laughs> when I was doing the Game of Month thing, that was kind of how I felt as well, you know? I was really enjoying just every month starting the new game and being like, this is another... Don't, you know, there's no goal to this and stuff and just like the dopamine rush when I release the game and the numbers go up is good enough you know and aside from that I could just make what I wanted to and, and I mean I definitely I definitely know how good that feels and now I want to do that again as well and like this is why I'm saying every day I'm, I'm like do I want to sell out or do I want to go back to doing game of month for free for the rest of my life i don't know yeah well i don't i don't think it's exclusive either way like yeah. i think if you throw enough stuff at the wall something will stick anyway right yeah if i if i stop actually paying attention to whether it sticks or not and i just keep throwing stuff i'll have a lot of easier time getting something to stick i don't know that's kind of like a weird metaphor <laughs> this podcast is split into two groups the people who are uncomfortable making money and the people who are kind of okay. This is the this is the kind of variety that makes it yeah, make games such a good show. Yeah, this is this is why you're number one. <laughs> <laughs> what is the big change you're gonna make in like work style, work life balance, output, making money, whatever. New year, new you. What's your big change this year? 
I have two resolutions. The first one is to not be on the computer on the weekend. You should get a Steam Deck, then you're not actually on the computer. <laughs> I actually have a little uh, asterisk on that rule for me. It's it's any like uh, display, like LCD display. Like my e-reader doesn't count, but anything that like shines light into my face that's digital. Yeah, yeah. It's cut the fuck out. Uh, it's interesting that you that you said this because I just got an e-reader for Christmas and I feel the exact same way. It doesn't feel like a real screen. No, it's not. It's not. It's an ink display. It's the best. You can steal every article, every essay. You just copy paste it. You yeah. export it as an EPUB. Please, everyone who's listening, make your own ebooks. It's super easy and it's better for your eyes and you're not in front of the computer. Yeah, I've got, I've got to start doing that with my e-reader. And you can torrent everything. You can torrent all of the books. Don't get one that's owned by Amazon. Mm -hmm. Get one that's like unlocked, like a free one. Oh, fuck. I have one that's uh, made by Amazon, but I have it on airplane mode 24-7. I was just about to say thank you, Amazon, for sponsoring <laughs> the episode. <laughs> oh, fuck. They're trying to silence me! They're trying to silence me! But what, what I was going to say is that, like, I was just looking at, like, footage from CES 2023 where they have, like, now laptops with colored e-ink displays. No way. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. I need this in my life. I need to be able to sit down and type, have a screen that can handle that, but, like, doesn't cause that level of eye strain. Mm -hmm. E-readers are the best. I, I, I hope I got kicked at a comedic timing where I was just railing against Amazon. Yeah, I think you were. I think you were. Perfect, perfect. So we will get demonetized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that second resolution is to always write in my diary before I go to sleep. I've been keeping various diary adjacent things over the year and it's extremely helpful to like actually get the stuff you want to get done done. It doesn't make you want to do stuff that actually makes money, but the stuff that you do want to do, you can actually finish. Or, like, I could actually finish by keeping very close track of, like, what I'm doing every day. But I would always write it in the morning. So I would wake up and I would try to sum up the previous day and I'd be completely like, oh, what did I do yesterday? And then the whole start of the day would be kind of fucked up. But no, I just do it in the evening. Yeah, I've, I've tried journaling a few times. That's another thing that makes me feel kind of miserable in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> I started keeping a journal last year. Not for life reasons, but for one of my projects I started working on was I saw, you know how people do day in the life of an indie dev or month, yeah, uh, yeah. week in the life? I'm going to try doing year in the life. So yeah. I, I started in February and I started keeping a journal just to like keep track of everything I was doing. And we'll see how the video turns out. But. Ooh. This is why your answer on like, what did I do this year was so succinct. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to say that, that I was working on that. But... Oh, that's a spoiler for the video. You have to cut it out or something. February is when the year ends. Oh. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I found that the more fun stuff I did, the less inspired I was to record. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not good at keeping up journals, but I feel like I'm not good at routine in general. I said that I'm not going to do, do journaling, but what I am doing is uh, I was visiting one of my like longest real life friends for new years his dad got like everyone calendars and gave me a journal which i've got like five empty journals in this room surrounding me <laughs> for for past years yes but what i decided i'm going to do is because i've been getting more into drawing again since like the start of last year i think i promised myself i'd draw more i'm going to just do a drawing in in every entry place for every day that's like that's something I can do, and it's something I want to like do every day. That's a cool, yeah, that's a cool goal. I want to do the opposite of last year, where I was just like traveling and doing lots of crazy stuff, and then huge work crunches. I'm just like this year, barely gonna travel. I think I just want to stay in one spot and just kind of work a normal, not like nine to five, more like a ten to four or eleven to three. You can't really work more than like four hours. Four hours of really intensive work. 
that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's pretty much all I need, I think, anyways. Four or five hours a day. I do want to try streaming again. I feel like I say this every year, but I'm going to try streaming on YouTube maybe like three days a week and just try it out. Because I do feel like it helps me work harder and I do feel like I make better games because people are watching and suggesting things and pointing out flaws in what I'm doing. And so they're like, oh, you should have this. Or like, what if it's like this? Or this is confusing. And it's like, oh, that's a good idea. How can you finish <laughs> if people tell you else? <laughs> I'm pretty good at separating, I guess, good advice and bad advice and also ignoring people if I have to. Nice. That, that explains why you don't answer all my letters. <laughs> <laughs> my dearest Mrs. It has been 10 years. <laughs> I got a MacBook. I don't like Apple, I guess, because I'm, I'm not used to it, but the battery life is incredible. So I'm like, I was messing with doing some dev on it, and it's actually really nice just to be able to, like, have a portable thing to work on. It's, like, so late. Yeah, I lugged my uh, 1.5 kilogram laptop around Europe with me, and I regretted it so much. Yeah, I did that, too. When I traveled to Europe with the laptop, I was like, oh, time to charge it. Two hours later, oh, time to charge again. <laughs> Why is that though? What is it with like all laptops that are on Apple that they die within like, I mean, you can't even watch a movie on it because it dies halfway through. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's just like Windows power management stuff. Yeah, it must be. I've been thinking, you know, should I get like, you can get like the power banks that are as big as your laptop and twice as heavy that can power it for <laughs> two more hours. Two more hours, oh my god. <laughs> just get a macbook i will say i do like my one hour i can get a portable elden ring on the steam deck let's go last year i got a treadmill and a sit stand desk and i was using that a bit which is actually pretty nice um i found it's not actually distracting to walk while i program yeah i can imagine that actually being like helpful for keeping focus yeah sitting is bad i kind of always end up at this time of year being like oh do i have a resolution i guess <laughs> last year my resolution was to release a commercial game which it didn't end up being submechanoid hopefully that gets released this year so that's my first thing is <laughs> planning to release that game this year the other thing is like i did end up releasing a couple of small commercial titles for like bundles and indie apocalypse but i think going forward uh, as I said, I'm just gonna keep drawing stuff at wall. <laughs> That's my theory. Do you want to put like like a deadline, like a game a month thing or something on it? No. No. All right. I'm at the stage where I can make things and enjoy the process, even if I don't release them. And but how about if you ruined that? <laughs> how about if you had a deadline every month that killed you slowly? Yes. That's like <laughs> what what I'm saying is, if I had money, I would bring on a producer who could reasonably talk to me and, and, and come up with deadlines and not be myself putting stupid pressure on myself, you know. Aren't you worried that you'll get a producer and the first thing will say is like, you need to finish this game by this date and you'll be like, no, you're fired. That's obviously not the ideal producer for me then if that's how they're <laughs> approaching it, you know. It's actually like really important. That would be part of the vetting process that they're like understanding of how I work. As it is solo dev, I'm just going to keep making things and have fun. That's what games are about. I'm, I Like I said, I'm in the middle of a midlife crisis. You're like 23, dude. <laughs> <Quarter> life crisis. <laughs> <laughs> at the the old age of uh, 23 years old i don't know it's just yeah because of the extreme not workingness of last year and the extreme i would say workingness of the year before it and now feeling like both ends i'm like at the turning point now where i feel like okay time to actually make a work-life actual balance and i but i kind of look back upon my days of game a month where it was i felt like that was really good because it was work but it wasn't too much yeah. work and it was consistent output and that felt really great 
the whole time I was doing that. And I kind of want to maybe go back to that a little bit. I'm just, for now, I'm just saying, okay, every weekday I do at least two hours of work. Yeah. Late in the evening, so I can still enjoy life during the day. I've also really learned from this year then that like I'm re- really happy to work if I did something during the day. If I just like wake up and work, I'm like depressed as hell. Then actually the whole time that I'm working, I'm stressing out about trying to make plans for the evening. Because my biggest fear is having a day where I don't do anything. That really fucks me up. Yeah. Yeah, also, like, the work-life balance thing is just, like, a continuous process anyway. It is. It's not like, there's no no sudden change you can make that improves your work-life balance. You have to just keep experimenting. True, I guess I just didn't realize that it's true that you can have it the opposite way. You always hear about, like, work-life balance, oh, I'm working too much and stuff, but I guess I just didn't realize it was possible that it could also go the other way. Living too much? (laughs) Yeah, I do feel like living too much is, like, I do feel kind of disappointed that it's, like, oh, I don't have, like, stuff to show for myself, and, like... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's decently strong in human nature to feel satisfied by a job well done, right? Yeah, exactly. And if you're not doing any job ever, then you get no satisfaction out of doing a job well done, and, and, and you lose out on that whole like aspect of human emotion and experience. I think that's called Buddhism, right? If you just sit there and just like do nothing, like just pray or whatever. There's there's a certain peace to be found in absolute nothingness, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or like in, in, in like really really enjoying doing nothing like purposefully like wasting all your time yeah i do feel like i may be in a, definitely not on a buddhist level but i do feel like in a way i've kind of had a taste of that this year like oh okay it's like this week and the next week and the week after that and the month after that i don't have to do anything so i can just do whatever and it was kind of liberating in a way but now it's like long enough that it feels almost to i don't know it's so hard to explain these emotions but it's wow i'm 23 i'm having a midlife crisis basically that's <laughs> it <laughs> you, you're, you're 23 you have a midlife crisis because you just spent a whole year doing nothing yep that's like the most normal thing ever yeah yeah it's good to be normal i guess what's something completely unrelated to games that you really enjoyed doing last year walks a lot of hacking this year like i, I took a lot of pictures for producer outside and like took the took pictures of the sunset like every day for a month or something or two months weren't you saying uh you've done a lot of cycling as well uh yeah that was in summer yeah i i could only cycle in in summer because i live in an area where the car people are fucking insane and if it's not like bright out and they don't expect bicycles they'll just fucking murder you i live in america i know that feeling <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's just all of america yeah I actually live like right beside a really really good bike facility that stretches from like my town to my nearest city but like other than that there's no bike infrastructure so you have like a set route you can follow on the bike and be safe and otherwise you're just just out on the road and those are like windy Irish roads 18 year olds in their in their uh, Toyota Corollas come around the corner at like 100 miles an hour on you know <laughs> here, here it's uh, 70 year old people who've just come from drinking like four or five glasses of white wine but yeah, no, it's walks, going into nature, looking at the trees, going, especially going through one area for the whole year. I've now done a full cycle. <clears throat> it's been like a year since I started to walk. And now I'm like recognizing certain like, actually, no, no, I'm not recognizing shit because the weather is fucked up. Because now that I'm like, I've, I've been here for a year and I've been like taking regular walks for a year and I can just see how things are not how they're supposed to, do, to be because it's too warm. But apart from the imminent collapse of the world, it's uh, it's been great. I can definitely relate to that. Like, the game I once did 
for Madvent or something. I was doing also the same thing for a year long. I was just doing walks with my brother pretty much every day at the exact same spot. So I kind of feel how you feel. And I did a thing where every uh, season I took a video of the exact same tree. Okay, so now I have a video for every season of that one tree. And I used it in one of my games, but it was... I don't know. It was really cool. Just... I know what you mean. It's like fucking... It's really, it's like thrilling to like see the same place over and over again and walk around and and like see the subtle changes, but also like how it absolutely does not change really. I went back to the town I lived in in the Netherlands and I did like my my daily commute walk or part of it just to to reminisce a bit, which was very interesting because I hadn't been there in like three years. It really hadn't changed. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, for me the big thing is like. The travel thing but it's more like when people say travel i kind of think like two weeks in paris but it's more like kind of moving somewhere else for like a specifically long period of time i mean i've been in uh, korea now for i think like three months which is surprisingly long it's like i didn't think it was long i've always thought like you need to live somewhere for a year for it to feel like you live there but like in three months time i feel like i live here which is really weird you learned korean no oh. <laughs> my girlfriend speaks korean which is very useful oh, okay. <laughs> i can say hello and thank you which you can do a lot with in life i've always wanted to do it i've haven't always had like a weird like relationship with like belgium and like not really being satisfied and staying there and and not really knowing why and always having like a feeling of restlessness of being there constantly and it's really great just like because i feel like now i'm like just defaultly happy because i am somewhere else but at the same time it's also like i I said previously being like kind of away for a long time finally i i know what it's like to be a belgian person it's like something i never even thought about i never in any way thought of myself as someone who's belgian and now i finally kind of see it how it's just about liking cheese and chocolate and <laughs> it's like it's weird that, that that it is you know the identity and i don't know i feel like i, I kind of learned a lot on like the life form of that just like wow moving away and i had a bit of that experience when i went to gdc in 2016 during the week of gdc saint patrick's day fell <laughs> so seeing like americans celebrate saint patrick's day as an irish person was very interesting <laughs> that's crazy but yeah the fact that even in a week you can kind of feel it it's it's very strange yeah so yeah i mean i guess if in that way i feel like i learned kind of a lot in like a really short time which is really interesting and so now that I feel like I'm kind of enlightened, um, I can finally go back to making fucking video games. <laughs> <laughs> you just had to, you had to go to Korea to find out that you like cheese and now you can work again. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That puts the entire year uh, down for me. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I did go to Belgium, actually. Um, is it true? They sell chocolate on every street. Is that really like everyone loves chocolate there? It's not just a tourist. They definitely do not sell chocolate on every scene. (laughs) This was, where did I go? Bruges? Bruges is literally like a theme park. It's like very small and very touristy. It's like, I hear that like um, Americans, they go to Bruges and they like ask where the the ticket booth is or something. So (laughs) (laughs) that is like the joke, but. (laughs) My grandmother's from Belgium. I just thought she was French because she's from the French part of Belgium. I didn't know that you had the connection to Belgium. I'm from the Dutch part. Oh, okay. If you went to Bruges, you went to the Dutch part, no? There's a whole movie about Bruges being incredibly boring. It's It's got some Irish people in it. My, I guess my highlight was that one of my friends, he's really into cars and like track and stuff. 
And he owns some old Porsche. I don't know, it's a 2006. It's like one of the cheapest Porsches you can get, but it's still pretty fast. He His dream was like he wanted to drive to Germany to go to that famous racetrack, uh, the Nürburgring. And so over the summer, I went with him. Like we, I crammed, I'm six foot six. <laughs> so I crammed into the passenger seat of his tiny Porsche and we drove from, uh, where is it, Watford in England all the way to the Nürburgring in Germany. How did you drive over the sea? There's a canal. It's a joke. It's a Dude, joke. <laughs> it's a huge deal. They made a canal. <laughs> <laughs> There's like pictures of the, of the prime minister shaking hands. Did you do like the typical German thing of like the only country in Europe where they don't have speed limits so you can go way too fast on the highway? He went, he speeds everywhere. He knows where every speed camera is in England. So he speeds and then he slows down and he gets to them. And as soon as we got on the Autobahn, he was like, wow, Germany's amazing. Look at that. He was like going max speed on like the all the way left lane on the Autobahn and people would like move out of the way. And he's like, I love Germany. They move out of the way if you're faster than them. <laughs> oh my God. I would, I would fucking fear for my life if I was in that Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> then we get on the racetrack and oh my God, I got so carsick going on this track. But it was it was pretty fun, and we paid one of the professional drivers there take us around in one of their cars. You you're definitely rich now. Sorry, but what the fuck? You can do that. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty budget, except for gas. I think we spent like three hundred dollars on that trip. Mesa, are you gonna do like the actual like the the move that nobody can do, where it's like you turn rich and somehow still live frugally and actually just enjoy life? <laughs> uh, hopefully, I have no interest in getting a mansion or expensive cars i would my dream is to be able to fly at least an extra leg room first class would be nice wow just extra leg room i have first class flight on my actual bucket list that i actually keep (laughs) (laughs) i i I did it in spain because it was cheaper than the normal one for some weird fucking reason you're weird i just want to be able to afford the five extra euros to get the window seat on ryanair (laughs) I want to do like the first class international flight with the piano bar, you know, this is... I I think that's only in the movies. No, it exists. I'm sure it must exist. (laughs) I always get the aisle seat just so I can stretch. I'm like, no way. Window seat, I can never do that. My god, I took so many fucking planes this year. It's like, fuck, I really hate planes. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I love planes, but it's really like a fucking challenge. Like the last plane I did, I finally gave up and bought a fucking Wi-Fi package. (laughs) I cannot, like another 12 hours of my fucking life of staring in front of me, I couldn't do it. (laughs) That's why you now have an e-reader, which frees you of all of that. This is the e-reader podcast now. The problem with the plane is you prep so many like podcasts and books and things, and then... When you're on the plane, you realize you downloaded all the wrong things. <laughs> I actually spent like my entire flight back from Barcelona to Dublin just like looking at the window, and I got a bunch of really cool footage of like the clouds going past, and you can see like literal parallax layers of like the cumulus and nimbus and everything passing by in like different sheets. The the thing that I started doing last year that I, like I really enjoyed that was completely unrelated to games is I took back up roller skating. Oh fun! When I was like eleven or whatever, my brothers were really into aggressive inline skating, which is like grinding and going up quarter pipes and stuff. I got like a pair of skates for my thirteenth birthday, but then both my brothers went off to college and I never had anyone to skate with, so they kind of like got used a few times and sat in the attic. And then this year they started making a bunch of skate parks in Ireland, which is amazing uh my town got one and I, I was just like sitting there one day like okay time for skating it happened and i i took my skates down from the attic 
I tested them. They still fit perfectly. What? <laughs> well, the liner of them is a little bit worse for wear, but they still fit, you know? Uh, and I just went out and I had like the most fun I had had in a long time. And then for Christmas, I got a pair of the quad skates, which have like the four wheels. So those are like inline skates. So they have the, the wheels in a line, which is really nice because it's winter here and it's really rainy. And the inline skates are like extremely scary on wet ground. Whereas the quads, because they have four contact points are so much better. I've actually been doing like strenuous cardio and like flexibility exercising and like you know it's first proper exercise i've done that's not just like going for a walk every day as an adult so <laughs> it's nice oh my god the fact that you said like a wedding I, i went back to belgium for two weeks for the holidays and suddenly i realized why i'm depressed every winter it's like <laughs> europe is so dark rainy <laughs> and depressing during the winter holy shit welcome to seasonal depression land <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh, my friends are like No wonder England started the Industrial Revolution. They had nothing else to do here. It's so miserable. <laughs> it's so horrible, miserable. Like, in Seoul, it's fucking cold, but at least there's some sun, you know, and there's light. I actually don't mind it that much. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I just want a good chance to talk about Elden Ring. <laughs> and I know it says 2023, but I'm still playing Elden Ring. That counts. Okay. What's, what's your greatest game of the year, 2023, so far? Yeah, it's, it's Elden Ring. Oh. <laughs> I'm 80 hours in and I've been playing it in bits and pieces since launch and it's so good. That's not as much time. No, no. I have like a lot of friends who put like 300 hours into it in the first three months of launch or whatever. Yeah. Like after two days playing that game straight, basically after launch, I realized that I needed to take a break and I needed to like slow things down and savor the experience because it's such a beautifully like crafted world to explore and... I'm constantly surprised and constantly discovering mysterious new things and places I didn't think could possibly even fit within the bounds of the map that I've nearly fully explored, you know. If you're someone who hasn't played Elden Ring and you really want to play it, definitely don't rush it. Try to be as forgetful as possible with like any spoilers you see, but have a nice time every couple of weeks and, and sit down and play a few hours. I guarantee it'll be a really good experience. Weren't you really into No Man's Sky? Like a few years ago? Yeah, uh, that's the game where I like did put like hundreds of hours in within short periods of time. <laughs> would, would, would you say the experience is comparable? Because I imagine both are like huge, from my perspective, kind of empty world. Elden Ring is like huge and full of things to do and full of new things to do constantly. Okay. <laughs> no Man's Sky, the joy isn't directly from the content it's from the fact that all of that content is there landing on a planet and being able to turn around and there's a mountain behind me and being able to go around to the other side of the planet and find a different shaped mountain the fact that that all exists just gives you gives you a really interesting happiness that's specifically how i imagine I, i didn't really play it i checked it on a friend's uh, console a little bit but it's like that's how i imagine Elden ring to be it's like I, I played all three Dark Souls, but the first one is obviously the only one that really is uh, worth your time because the other ones are just so fucking huge and whatever. So when, when, I, when I look at Elden Ring, I'm like, this looks like hell to me. <laughs> like I say, if you take it slow and you play like bits and pieces at a time, every time I boot up that game, I have a new adventure. And whether that's like 30 minutes in the morning or whether it's for like five hours before bed or something, yeah. I always have a new adventure, you know? And the other thing is that it's so much easier to come back to because you, like, stop playing for months of, like, say, the original Dark Souls. If you stop playing that for a few months and you come back to your save, you're like, what is this build? What is this weapon? What am I doing? Where am I? Where should I go next? How much things have I unlocked? 
Elden Ring, I can just go back and do some catacombs or dungeons or caves or whatever. Yeah, sure. And, and there's always, like, a lower level area. So you can get back up to speed with gameplay a lot faster. And you have a lot of fun and discover new things while doing that. Which, I'm not going to say that playing, like, a bunch of the game in, a, in like, a short period of time isn't a good way to play the game. I just think that, like, taking it slow... And savoring that game really benefits it. Oh, I finally started playing Breath of the Wild, and it's been really fun. Got to get in there before the new the new one comes out, right? <laughs> yeah, I was just like, might as well get this. I guess that's what you're supposed to play if you have a Switch. <laughs> and I started playing it, and I'm like, oh wow, this doesn't doesn't make me bored out of my fucking mind the whole time I'm playing like most open world games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like actually fun to travel around, okay, and it doesn't take like ten hours to like walk one place to the next place. I'm I'm impressed by it. Breath of the Wild is the only like third person game where you can fight someone that I do not find not extremely boring. Interesting. Sorry, I haven't played Elden Ring. <laughs> <laughs> Elden Ring is is just so dense, which is why like even if getting from one place to another did take forever, you discover like a thousand things in between. My game of the year, the only game I've played all year. Because I, I don't know, oh god, I'm, I'm really bad at playing games. This and a random marble game that someone forced me to play. Paradise March, which is super cute. Oh yeah, I really wanted to get that. It's so good. It's just, I mean, it's really small. It's like a game that I wish I made. It's super small. It does one thing. It's very cute. And everything is extremely juicy and well made. And it's just, I'm just, the entire time I was playing it, it's like, fuck, I wish I was good at making video games. This is amazing. <laughs> and it only took like two days to finish kind of so it was great sometimes i play games and i'm like ah, games are kind of all go- good but a lot of games kind of they're not like very well made or something i don't know and then this game is just like oh it's all like perfectly made it's so cute it's probably an element of the thing that i've been noticing with like movement in games where i'm super susceptible to being put off by just like movement that feels slightly off nowadays because i've spent so much time making movement exactly it's like i play a platformer game and i just like it doesn't have like the jump delay button thing and i just i stop playing because it's like it's unplayable for me which is horrible snobs Snobs (laughs) as hell. but this game is like everything is perfect game feel everything has feedback and input and it's all like perfectly designed and it's just so satisfying to finally you know sometimes like sit down play it and just not feel frustrated at anything and it's it's bliss is what it is it sounds like they made a lot of the design decisions you would have made if you were in their place right exactly it is exactly like a game that i wish i would have made and it's just incredible to play something like that and just be like kind of amazed that it exists in a way and it's perfect because it's super short and nothing is annoying and it goes really fast and it's it's so good no complaints whatsoever. Let's go. Oh, I do have to say thanks for recommending Umarangi Generation. I played that last year. It was pretty good. Oh, yeah. That game sick. I would probably have to say Signalis. Oh, yeah. Which I have complicated feelings about that I'll try to sum up now. It's, it's like a, what is it called? Silent Hill top-down thingy. And I think everything in that game is like directly traceable to like 20 years of history of survival horror genre. It's like a love letter or like carefully reconstructed, whatever. It's just, if nothing in it felt to me compelling in its own way when I played it the first time. And I, I really was put off by the kind of sense of like history that game has, where it's like, you can really feel that 
the developers really love this one game and like took the parts that they really like and recommended it. And it's like it's like all of these things from all of these other games, but felt for the longest time like it lacked identity. And then there was this insane switch when because I played it again then because I don't know I was having a shitty week. I realized it's extremely carefully paced and structured. The normally there's like a dip in like design quality or like design I call it like density decay when something like significantly drops in quality like after the middle or like around the middle and then ramps up towards the ending again because they realize you know it's like you just don't put effort into the middle you put effort into the beginning where you hook people and the end where you leave them but this game drops very early and then just keeps rising for the rest of its runtime in terms of like complexity and quality of content and that's so fucking hard to make that's so incredibly crazy difficult to make, to not just shoot all your best ideas out in the beginning and then try to tie it all up in the end. And that's why it's my game of the year so far, because like, holy shit, how did they do that? That's some real, real design production restraint. Hats off. I'm really impressed, Josh, that you know, like you're able to like you know focus on the big picture and just like appreciate it. Here's me, like my favorite game is the game that does the microtransactions, like the microinteractions <laughs> very well. Like I'm so fucking like. Tunnel, my tunnel vision is on like, you know, like two seconds yeah. interactions. I don't, I can't even imagine like a game that's longer than five minutes, you know? <laughs> I think pacing is something that's uh, very hard to learn as a yeah. like solo or indie de dev because you can't basically afford to make a game that's long enough where pacing is a real thing that you can focus on, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, obviously there is still pacing involved. It's definitely like harder to learn pacing i got to play more video games <laughs> thanks for being on the podcast josh it was it was great fun to be back again thanks for joining all right see you bye bye